This is Full Circle, a podcast from Midland Center for the Arts. Welcome to our premiere episode, where host Dexter Brigham, director of theater programs at the Center for the Arts, and co-host Elaine Doherty, Center for the Arts programming board member and faculty member in the Department of Theater and Dance at Central Michigan University, discuss with guest panelists Anirban Ghos and Rusty Moe whether arts organizations should wade into divisive and controversial topics, and the role an arts center should play in its community, here on Full Circle. Hello, and welcome to Full Circle, the Midland Center Arts Podcast. So Full Circle is a chance for us to take a deep dive on important topics and questions inspired by current events and our own programming here at Center for the Arts. Um, So if you're discovering this podcast on iTunes and you don't know anything about Midland Center for the Arts, that's okay. Uh, you are welcome here. This is a safe space, and there's nothing you need to know about us to enjoy this podcast. But just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Midland Center for the Arts is a, a multidisciplinary performing arts center in Midland, Michigan, that boasts a okay. Here's going to be a long list: uh, hands-on <laughs> science museum, art gallery, and studios, a symphony orchestra, a science museum. Uh, I already said that. Community theater, historical society. We also have a, a a wide spectrum of visiting artists from Broadway tours and recording artists to children and family shows. So needless to say, we do a lot of things here and it gives us a, a lot to talk about. And uh, so in each episode, we were going to be chatting uh, with local and or visiting artists and guests uh, about something that we think is interesting and that we hope that you might find interesting as well. Basically, we wanted a chance to just hang out with people that that we think are cool and, uh, and we want to talk about things that we want to talk about. And we'd like to have you along for the ride. So are you ready? Ready. All right. All right, let's go. So uh, my name is Dexter Brigham, and hopefully I will be your insightful, definitely (laughs) overconfident host for the show. Um, So I work in the back office of the center as part of the the programming team, uh, which is the the group of folks who are alternately celebrated and reviled, depending on whether everyone liked our most recent show (laughs) or not. so I'm going to be your host for the podcast, and then I would like to introduce uh, my, my friend and co-host, Elaine Doherty, um, who has promised me that she will keep things colorful if, if I get too esoteric. I'm more as a screener for your bad jokes. She's <laughs> right? going to call me out yeah, whenever I... Yeah, i talk to Andy about editing afterwards. i got to warn you, I'm, I'm a very <laughs> big fan of punning. Uh, it's true. It is true. I've been a victim of your puns. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, to kick things off here for our first episode, um, we wanted to immediately get uh, a little bit meta and talk about whether or not we should be talking. Um, So over the course of this podcast, I would imagine that at some point we are going to want to talk about something that is divisive or controversial, whether it's, I don't know, gun control or marriage equality. Or things that are really divisive, like which direction the toilet paper roll should go. Oh. It's over. Exactly. For the record. So everyone over. knows. What? Over what? No, you just, put the, you just put the toilet roll on the back of the toilet, right? That's, then it's, just, it's, just to the, it's just one side or the other. That's my house. <laughs> Except for me. Uh, or things like, uh, what is the correct name for a water fountain? A bubbler. I, sh- I should point out to our listeners that we have a uh, <laughs> an import a, from Boston, <laughs> a Bostoner in in the house. It's true, uh, and she it's true. I take it. And she insists everywhere. on calling things silly names without ours. Appropriate names. Bubla. A bubla is a water fountain. Yeah. A water fountain. So I'm gonna turn my my dialect filter back on and <laughs> all right. Let's hear. Let's have it. We want like unfiltered Elaine here. <clears throat> um, all right. So uh, as an art center. Uh, which is a community asset intended for everyone to enjoy and which relies heavily on financial support from the community, do we have a responsibility to be you know, kind of like Sweden and, and not take sides on divisive, topic, divisive topics? Or is the opposite true? Should we take a firm stance uh, on things um, that are divisive? So that's kind of a, just an additional, uh, initial uh, topic that we're going to kind of talk our way around uh, over the course of the next uh, however many minutes. And to help us explore these questions, we have a couple of guests uh, with us today. Uh, first, I would like to introduce uh, Anirban Goj. Um, who is a, correct me if I'm wrong here, you got business finance manager yep. with Dow. That's correct. And you have been, uh, also you've also been involved with Creative 360 in the past. Yeah, I was, I was the treasurer for a couple of years. I stepped down, I believe, last year. And so seeing the workings from the financial side from behind the, the curtain, if you will. Yeah. And so, yeah. 
So and you know, so when when we first started talking about possibly doing this this episode, um, I the reason that you came to mind is that uh, a couple of years ago, again, you know, like uh, mid November of 2016, you and I were were sitting at a uh, we were sitting at a, a reality stores table. We were, we were both volunteering for something, and uh, and you and I ended up getting into a conversation that was that was really interesting, right? Because it was right after the election, and I here I do I sit down next to you. And I'm a, you know, a crazy, you know, like crazy arts liberal guy, right? And I'm, you know, bemoaning, you know, the election loss, right? Mm-hmm. And I sit down next to you uh, and uh, and turns out you're a conservative. I am. Right? I am. And, and we ended up, and so, you know, and, uh, and... I mean, you're also. I do feel safe here, though. So, okay, you know, I, I feel a little outnumbered, but I do feel safe. So, so far, <laughs> so far. Um, and you know, and and you are all. You're also. You're Indian. I am. That's where my heritage is from. Heritage, yeah. So, um, and and so at first, you know, my my initial. So if my my initial to kind of like to you know to show my bias, right? My initial thought was like, oh, I, I got. I'm sitting here with somebody who's going to be right. You know, I'm sitting here with a, with a person of color, right? Clearly, yeah. clearly, like I can I can speak my mind, and I'm just going to be a like minded person. And boy, it just shows to go, <laughs> you know. And so, but we he, we and I ended up in this wonderful conversation mm-hmm. about uh, about politics, and it was uh, and about you know um, why we voted the way that we did, um, and what we were hoping. Um, what we would opening would, would be happening over the next few years, and it was actually kind of one of the one of the better you know uh, kind of political conversations. Oh, we know. didn't end up in a fist fight, so that's always. A I good mean, thing. yeah, that's you know, <laughs> which I you know, which I think the way that the way that discourse has gone since you and I spoke, you know, has is is certainly a uh, a, a distinct possibility with, with folks you know talking at the dinner table about yeah. about things. So um, I think that's just an interesting the idea. Uh, you know, it, it was a, something that kind of came to mind for me. As okay, this let's let's you know let's bring that let's have you and I sit down and talk about about this you know because right. you know how do we how do we talk about things that are tough to talk about um, so then I also want to I want to introduce our, our second guest uh, Rusty Mo hi how you doing Rusty so far so good a little sweaty <laughs> I've never done this before so, so actually just, just for all of our listeners we are actually on stage uh, we are actually on the actual stage of uh, the little theater at Midland Center for the Arts so we're surrounded by ladders and curtains and set pieces um, and crusty looking tech people um, <gasps> it's exotic it's it very really exotic. is exotic <laughs> <laughs> and so Rusty you you run a program at uh, Creative 360 called Conversations That Matter. Mm -hmm. And what is is that program about? Um, Well, I get to let out my inner Oprah and talk with people who I've chosen from my perspective, um, who I think are are neighbors who have things to contribute to the conversation in terms of the community. Uh, Could be... uh, Peacemaking, international peacemaking, uh, palliative care, uh, heresy. Uh, I have a couple of artists I've interviewed. I'm very, uh, very interested in the creative process. I, I think I'm more interested in the creator than what gets created for some reason. I have this, how'd you do that kind of mentality? And it really gives me a chance to be stupid to ask these questions, you know, <laughs> that I, you know, I'm, I'm good to interview up. I would be a good political interviewer because I know nothing about politics. So explain yourself to me, you know? So, um, and there are some other things that we, we're doing this uh, upcoming year. We're interviewing only artists. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, to jumping into the heart of that. Great. And it's been a great privilege to talk with these people. And it really gets the audience, I don't know if excited, uh, well, hopefully inspired and reflective at the same time. Well, and I, I love that you, the idea of conversations that matter, of creating a space where you can confront, where you can create a space to talk about things that are difficult to talk about that right. we don't get a chance to talk about very you often. You know where that, that phrase came from? I've been a psychotherapist, <laughs> not a speech pathologist. I've been a psychotherapist <laughs> for uh, over 40 years. And um, one of my clients said, I know what therapy is. It's a conversation that matters. And that stuck with me like for 30 years. I thought that would be a good tag for something. And I found the something at 360 <laughs> with the interview program. Awesome. Well, uh, let's go ahead and, and dive right into our topic here. Um, so just, we're just going to throw out something and uh, see how you guys react to it. Okay. So uh, Midland, as, as we all know, is this 
bright red bastion of conservatism uh, in a purple state, um, which, which explains why, why Anurban feels comfortable, right? Because he knows that even in, he's in the little tiny blue dot inside of the giant red, uh, the giant red center. Um, and of course, art centers, um, like, like a lot of artists, and I'm, I'm speaking entirely in broad terms here, mm. you know, tend to be kind of liberal hotspots, as it were. So mm. at this point, we're, in terms of where we are today and our culture is in so many basic everyday things are politicized, it's hard for us to even talk to each other. So how does, a, how does an art center who is creating programming that is supposed to reflect, to, to reflect the world back at us, how, how does an art center negotiate these, these kind of treacherous waters? For me, uh, being a virgin in this kind of a conversation, or uh, what do you mean by an art center, and what do you mean by treacherous? It sounds like you're coming from an experience. Uh, so I think I'm sorry. I, I flipped the roles here. Well, <laughs> well but, I was, there's uh, so by an art center, I'm, I'm, I mean specifically talking about Midland Center for the Arts, but right. really any arts organization, right? Any theater organization or visual arts organization. Um, any any organization that is creating um, either arts or entertainment that you know for the public, the community, yeah, mm-hmm. for the community, and 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 if that and, and if they're doing, if you're bringing in artists, you know, you know, if you have artists that are coming in from around the world or around the country, um, what happens when you have an artist that is uh, that is you know. Uh, controversial maybe like Kathy Griffin yeah it was a perfect example Kathy Griffin uh who what was what was the thing she what did she had a she beheaded fit? Trump she, she beheaded she had a bloody like a ketchup head, ketchup yeah like it was this yeah. awful awful thing and she I think she was she was fired from her everything for like everything that she <laughs> her did. whole she's, tour yeah she's <laughs> canceled yeah she's kind of persona non grata yeah. for for a while so yeah so like if you know so does you know do art centers you know so art centers have you know our um you know we accept we, we sell tickets to the public to people who want to come to see shows but we also we're, we're always soliciting donations mm-hmm. and we have um support from from foundations from 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 national grants so we're accepting um, we're accepting tax dollars from you know from the government you know um so with all of those different kind of you know kind of complex ways that we we fund an organization like this what is our responsibility in terms of the art that we put on our stage mm-hmm. If, I, if you don't mind jumping in on that one. Yeah, jump in. So I would think it really depends on the art center. It depends on what's the core of that art center or the mission, if you will. So, good for example, if the art center is a comedy club, it's purely about bringing talent in, of, of comedy, then I would think that Kathy Griffith would be a perfect person. It's exactly. consistent with what they're trying mm-hmm. to deliver to the public, right? And you would know going in there that it's going to be a comedy performance, mm-hmm. right? Now, you might look up who the com- – the comic is and what their material is and decide not to attend or what have you. But then you go to a different place where whatever, you know, maybe it's somewhere where they, they do poetry all the time. Bringing in somebody (coughs) controversial who has nothing to do with poetry wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? That that's kind of like, I'm trying to light a fire here to get attention versus being consistent with the mission. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if you're consistent with the mission, you have to be aware when you bring somebody in that that's, controversial but i don't think it's something that you ban because they are controversial right mm-hmm. I like that. but you gotta you gotta be consistent with what you're providing mm-hmm. right and so people might not come to that event and that's fine but if it's if, the, if that's what you do and that's a person who fits in that mold mm-hmm. i don't see why you wouldn't bring them in if it makes sense mm-hmm. i wouldn't avoid them we'll put it that way yeah and so what um i, I like to stay close to home and uh, in, in terms of this kind of conversation, so at, at the moment anyway. So what is the vision of the Center for the Arts? <laughs> you get looking at me funny. Oh, no, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> well, when Anurban said mission, I said, I thought vision, you know, how, what, yeah. what is the, what do you stand on? So, uh, so the mission of the Center for the Arts is to provide um, meaning and connection. So, uh, to create a place where people can find meaning and connection in their busy lives. 
Meaning and connection. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's broad. I that's mean, that, really broad. That's Very huge. Broad. Well, I mean, think about it. We have we have a hands on <clears throat> we have a hands on science museum right. in our right. in our right. you know building. We have a symphony. We have a community theater. We have arts. I mean, there's the yeah. the breadth of Music. the programming. Mm-hmm. E- even our even the programming that we bring in ranges from. Broadway shows to you know world music to comedy mm-hmm. you know, comedians right. mm-hmm. you know so it really is a very it is very broad it's about you know it, it's so yeah there's a lot of different areas a lot of different directions we can go into all of our programming but to be fair that's fairly it's a 360 is a little bit narrower than that but it, it's a very similar it's similar where mm-hmm. it's a place for you to come and be creative right yeah, it, it, yeah. It, so it's whatever that right whatever your process is whatever so it's not, media yeah it's not medium. specific to a single you, you know, know it's not painting versus photography mm-hmm. versus comedy it's so i think it's very similar in that aspect mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so what what is a, do, you, do you think organizations have values oh yeah yeah oh absolutely absolutely they do <laughs> absolutely they do mm-hmm. i think that's part of the reason why some you know i i read a lot of scripts and I, I didn't know that about I you. <laughs> I, read I read a lot of scripts. Um, and I select which ones I pass on mm-hmm. to you to consider for programming. Mm-hmm. Because I know that some of them are too edgy or too risky or too graphic or too whatever for this particular venue. Like I, I know that they're not going to get past that initial screening. You're going to like it. Dexter is going to like it and go, whoa, oh, that's really a good script. But it's going to go in a separate pile. It's not going to come to but our wait, programming committee and but, say, hey, let's do this. But when you talk about that, that's interesting. Like, and, and I think it makes perfect sense. But when you say you screen it, mm. are you screening it because you don't think the Midland community would appreciate mm-hmm. it, which means attend it, which means fund it? Or you think that it would create a firestorm or both? It could be. But but. Because screening has different – we screen for different reasons, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the business side of me is sitting there going, <laughs> I would screen things out. Uh-huh. I'm going to put five people in the seats and it's going to cost me right. $5,000 to put on. It doesn't make a lot of yeah. sense. There's no reason to even yeah. send it to the next person. And right. we're and our programming has – it covers a, a, that – a very wide breadth of those particular things. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, you know, uh, one piece of programming we may be screening for scripts because the purpose of that of that particular piece of programming is to sell tickets, right? right? Mm-hmm. And we want we want to bring in, we want to c- provide some some really fun, big, dazzling entertainment to as many people as mm-hmm. we can possibly reach, right? And then another piece of programming might be uh, a much more narrow, a much more narrowly tailored topic that we know is going to reach a much smaller group of people, but we feel it's very important to do. And it's not necessarily about selling, you know, you know we're, we're a nonprofit organization, right? So part of our mission is to make sure that we create programming that is, that is relevant just as much as it is popular. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about when you ask that question about uh, values of the institution, um, are you, when you read or edit or when these scripts come to you, do you... Do you have that in mind, the, the values of the, of the Center for the Arts? Would you? Well, I have several. I teach at Central have, Michigan University, right, right. so I'm always looking for stuff to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I look for material for my students and for, for different mm-hmm. um, opportunities for them and things like that. And I sort of end up categorizing pieces mm-hmm. as this is appropriate for, I might think of a particular mm-hmm. person or student, and this would work at the center, and this I could do in a studio venue or whatever. And so I sort of split them that way. Got it. What would you say are the ins- the values of the Center for the Arts? What play? Oh, oh, let's do it this way for fun. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like Joey Ross on Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Ooh, ooh. Um, you're too young to know what I, I'm no, talking no, no, no. about. I used to stay up and watch Nick at Night as a kid. I watched Thank you. all that Thank stuff. You. Oh, I loved ooh, that ooh. stuff in the summers. I used to stay up and watch. I just went, ooh, ooh, I forgot what I was going to ask. So, well, <laughs> no, I, I thought it was a, that was a great question. You asked, what are the values of the center? Oh. And, and rather, if you, I Thank work you. at the center. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm actually interested in actually what your answers to that question would be, oh, right? What it, you know, because. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I know we we as as staff, you know, we know we we know the aspirational values of the center. But I'm wondering, yeah, kind of what what the what the the community the, at large yeah, believes. Yeah, that's the values what we stay at home here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Do you want to go? No. 
<laughs> I'll paddle around. I love it. Do you want to take it? No. No, no. good, thanks. Okay, no. You open first. that can, it's all yours. <laughs> he opened it. Um, I've been gone for 40 years. I, I, and I was telling Jenny, uh, who walked me out of the stage, the fir- I haven't been here since 1970. So it's almost 50 years. I did the first yeah. play they did here in the little theater, Lion in Winter. Oh, really? so, I was, <laughs> so coming back, I just came back about three years ago. It's like the center has, has exploded, you know, and just in terms of what you were talking about, the, the, the people, the, 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 the theatrical stuff that you bring in. But I th- what... I, 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 where's the community theater? You know, I know it's here, but there are these splashy things now. It's like, yeah. I so honest, you know, honestly, I don't know what you stand for. I mean, I know there's this intimate community theater, and but then there's this splashy stuff, and I don't know if, you know, I notice it just because I'm a therapist and think of bipolar. You know, or this or this. <laughs> no. Well, one of the, one of the things we I mean, one of the things we're always. Um, I think one of our constant challenges is trying to ha- to t- trying to juggle all of these different identities, God, all these different yes. projects that we have yes. up in the air, um, and but also to be clear with them because the participation aspect has always been a part of what the center has been about. Community right? participation, the com- yeah. Yeah. community yes. participation, yes. both in terms of uh, you know we have the art studio, we have the community theater, we yeah. have ushers, we have um, uh, volunteers up in the museum. You know, but there's. There's, we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. It's absolutely part of our DNA. Um, and how do we make sure that we balance that with also, you know, stuff that's more kind of commercial, mm-hmm. like the national tours coming right. through, things right. like that. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Did that question throw you? Did I insult you? By no, it's a fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's a, I think it's a fascinating. It's the idea of. I think this this idea of what a what a, an art center, what an art center stands for, is mm-hmm. kind of at the heart of the question because exactly. you know it, it creates a it creates an impression in the community that makes you either more or less inclined to walk through the doors, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know and you know we like to think of as we as artists we like to think of uh, the the work that we produce as being this unifying thing, right? That, mm-hmm. that art can bring people together and art can um, can stimulate conversations mm-hmm. between people that perhaps aren't talking. But ultimately, I guess the, my question is, you know, if, if we believe that art centers can be, or that art can be a unifying force, then doesn't the art center itself need to be neutral ground? Can it be? I mean, I don't. I don't know if it's. Possible. I don't know. I don't know if it has to be neutral. To me, it still goes back to. We talk about values. We talk about mission, and and maybe those aren't exactly the right words, mm. but um, it's got to stay consistent with the persona of the art center. Interesting. And that, and so and I don't want to go off because I use the word mission or to go in the wrong direction mm-hmm. on this, but it, it's it's got to be consistent with who you are, right? And and I think each art center has a different. DNA, right? I think the Midland Center for the Arts has a different DNA than Creative 360, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they provide different things and there's a different feel. You talked about the intent of or, or what will spark your interest to come through the doors, mm-hmm. right? And I think the two art centers provide different things for different people. And I don't think there's anybody who's going to sit there and say, I'm only going to Creative 360. I'm never going to go mm-hmm. to the Center for the Arts or vice versa. At least I haven't run across that, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it exists because... Yeah. They provide different experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And they have different personas, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that it doesn't have to be neutral, but it has to be within your persona, right? So if, you, if you're somebody who brings, and I go back to the, the comedians, right? If you mm-hmm. bring in comedians left and right, and mm-hmm. you bring in somebody who's controversial, I don't think it's a big deal. And I don't think, I don't think you have to turn around and say, ooh, I brought in a right-wing comedian i gotta turn around bring in a Next. left wing and i gotta be yeah. balanced right you're bringing in a comedian that has their own views you as an organization aren't hopefully aren't trying to promote a ideology one way or the other unless that's part of your dna if that's part of where you are that's fine um and, and so playing this i got to keep everybody balanced i can't the organization shouldn't be picking here's the ide- ideology i want to push mm. they should be picking the artist and the art, right? I didn't say that very eloquently, but they you did. They should pick the material or the, this is somebody who entertains and I want them to come entertain. That's what they should be looking mm-hmm. at, right? Mm-hmm. Not micromanaging. Not the audience. 
What's that? Not looking at the audience, but looking at the entertainer and how it fits, that's in quotation marks, with the vision. Right. In, in ter- and so I say yes and no. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with that because you have to be – the business side of me still says you got to put seats – got to put people in the seats, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you have to make sure that they have an entertaining voice in, again, my, my comedic example here. Um, but to sit there and say, I bring in comedians all the time. I'm worried that this comedian is going to offend everybody. I don't know if I would go into that space very – often unless it's something crazy because bringing in people as comedians is part of my DNA, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to bring in somebody else who's going to make fun of sports all day long. Somebody else who's going to make fun of something else. And and I think that's fine, right? Um, Again, to me, it's it's almost um, you're not focusing on their material, as weird as that sounds. Mm -hmm. You're just focusing on, are they entertaining people? It sounds like, you know, what I hear you saying is that it's that it's really about being authentic. Yes. That, that an art center should make That's sure that it has authenticity and be transparent about what it is that it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe and maybe the political question, you know, is, you know, is a, a, a little bit of a different animal, especially when it's something about where are you, off, like, you know, is somebody's just, coming in and bringing in a comedian who's just going to offend people, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, a lot of the program that we do isn't necessarily about offending people, but, you know, it's, a lot of it is, you know, we are constantly generating programming, coming up with new ideas for programming. And do we have an obligation to develop programming that it, that addresses difficult topics? Mm-hmm. Is you that know? one of your values, um, would you say? Well, that's, int- yes. I mean, I think one of our values is definitely to reflect the world it to be an accurate reflection go. of the world. And of course, you know, and, and it's interesting because some, some folks, uh, some folks come to the theater and they come, they come to an art center because they want to be entertained and they want to forget. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I go to the theater for exactly that reason. Uh, and there are other times that I go to the theater um, to be challenged and to be mm-hmm. provoked mm-hmm. and to, mm-hmm. and to walk out thinking very intensely about something. Um, but I guess, you know, do, is there, is there this obligation there to, um, to make people think, um, I was hmm. looking. I was looking. I was doing a little bit of reading online today, and I found this this quote by um, Cesar Cruz, who's a human rights activist and mm-hmm. poet. Um, that's a what's a, a quote that I've heard before. Said, um, "Art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable." So, yeah, it's, do you think that's true? I mean, you you wrote it down. I mean, so do you think that's yeah, true? Yeah. Well, as as a yeah. uh, as a hardcore theater. theater artist, you know, I. Those are those are exactly the types of quotes that are designed oh, to like, perfect. you know, make stir like, you within. Uh, in, uh, indeed, like, you know, like the Rocky theme starts like uh-huh. pounding in the back Where of my head. I'm like, steps. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna disturb some people uh-huh. yeah. who are too comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's inherently. I think that all art has to do that in some way. Has to um, explore what's around us, and whether it's good or bad or neither, neutral or not neutral or whatever, I think that art's job is to ask questions, not necessarily to provide answers, but to ask the questions that force those of us observing the art or experiencing the art or taking in the art, whatever that might be, it, it causes us to walk away thinking more or differently or um, altered in some way about whatever it is that we experienced. And I think that all good art does that, even if, even if it's to entertain it's you good know, entertainment. It, it's good entertainment. <laughs> it does something for us. Um, this, I have this conversation with my mom all the time because my mom doesn't want to be upset when she leaves something that is entertainment. Like she doesn't want to go to a movie and cry. And I love a good cry. I love just bawling my face up, you know. And she wants to go and enjoy it and laugh and then go on her way. She goes because it's a it's a method of distraction. Mm. And I think that even those methods of distraction, whether we realize it or not in the moment – alter something in us. Even if it's small, even if we don't know it right then and there, it's a week later, it's a month later, it's a year later, and we mm-hmm. suddenly flash back to that and go, oh yeah, that was the, and it just, it sort of yes. lingers in some way, no matter how it lands on us, whether it makes us laugh uproariously or, or cry our faces off. Now it's interesting, as you, excuse me, as you described that is, is, because as you were talking, my interpretation of, uh, of what you're saying was that Art is done for other people. 
And I've always classified art fundamentally as done for yourself, right? So I paint a picture for myself because I wanted to, whether it's therapy Mm -hmm. for myself, whether it's my own, what I see out the window or what have you. And again, there's a, there's a transition or a blurred line here of because I drew a picture that's meaningful to me mm-hmm. and somebody else took it or wanted it and put it up in a gallery or in a somewhere else, um, it obviously does impact other people. And I'm not disagreeing with that. It just – the interesting thought to me is because as I drew it, I didn't care about anybody else or think about anything right. else. It was me pouring out my mm-hmm. creativity, right? And it changes and so, you. And it changes me as an individual, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. But then it does have an impact on others. And so, and that's what I was just sharing yeah. is that, that the conversation made me think of it from a different, made it sound different. Mm-hmm. That's all, you know, and so it's. I, I yeah. agree with that. I think that there are plenty of people who, who draw or paint or write poetry and no one ever mm-hmm. sees that work, yeah. but it does something for them. Yeah. It changes yeah. them in some way. It helps them process something, it, it, whatever it is that it does for them. And I think that that is – you're sort of the artist and the audience at the same time oh. because you move through the process and then you can step back and see what was created. Okay. If somebody asked me this question, I would go, what are you talking about? Okay. I will prepare my answer. Okay. Just prepare it right just right now. <laughs> um, before I ask it, just prepare What are no. you talking about? What the – what uh, – <laughs> When you say art, even good art, but I'll just say art, when you say that word, what do you mean? What is art to you? Because you, Anabon, you had a, a, the uh, art for you meant the creator. I mean, you were, something came out of you and then somebody else saw it, which right. is all right. But for you, art would be That's my, generally. That's my, my starting point, right? Yes. I, I can understand the other side too, and I can understand yes. the people that are the starving artists that are drawing for money and mm-hmm. their, their perspective is probably different than somebody who's doing it for their own yeah. scribbling poetry and in my own yeah. journal. Right, right. It's going to be different than a screenwriter who is trying to get their get stuff published. Right. right. But, that, but so, that also that also says that uh, even the creation of art has just as wide a spectrum as the consumption of art. Yeah. Right. The, oh my gosh. It was yes. one of the uh, you know one of the things that I've always struggled with as a, as a theater producer is you know. There's this this need to um, to define the you know the kind of to say this is art, but over here this thing over here this is entertainment, and oh. that there's this very big difference between art and entertainment, and and I, I absolutely think <laughs> only when oh. you use the dialect. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> only when you're but, you know, Bostonian. But the, the, the older Sorry. I get, the older I get, the older I get, I the more that I, I really think that those arbitrary pigeonholes are bullshit. Yeah, it's, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that you know, the the more I look around, the more that I see, you know, I, you know, I might see, uh, you know, a corny, hokey children's show, and I'm like, oh my god, really? this is just such, this is so simplistic. <laughs> Meanwhile, my six year old is sitting next to me, and his world is Love being magic. rocked. It's magic, right? yes. And so it so much, you know, who are we as individuals to define what? Art is right. Yeah, it does. You know, it does it have to? Does it have to change you? Does it have? I mean, I don't. I don't know the answer to those things. All I can do is engage with it. You know, yeah. on my own terms. Well, and I think when I ask that question, "What is art to you?" I think it really is on your own. You're calling art art for yourself or your son. You can see, mm-hmm. or not for yourself. Right. But I was, that's why I'm. I think. I think that I would probably, if I had to define it, and yeah. I'm not. I don't know, but it's. <laughs> I think that it's anything, any form that allows someone or a group of someone's maybe to share their interpretation of a thought, a feeling, a moment, a surrounding, or whatever. But there's something about about, um, creating something through your own personal lens, right? I think that's what it is. So to... To kind of uh, bring us back to our topic here, and this is a, we're we're in such a great, <laughs> a great place. Well, you know, I think um, what I'm going to do is I want to uh, kind of segue here into oh. our our first um, artist spotlight um, of the episode. So what we'll do is here is in each episode we'll take about halfway through. We're getting close to probably the halfway point here, and um, we'll do a little bit of uh, of a highlight of some programming that's going to be coming nice. up at the center. And uh, and this so we have this this group um, that. Is coming to the center that actually really connects 
perfectly with kind of what we're talking about. Um, so uh, Shesh Besh is a chamber music ensemble made up of members of the Israeli Philharmonic, um, as well as the finest musicians in Israel's Arab community. With a repertoire of both Eastern and Western classical music, as well as original compositions, Sheshbesh is a living metaphor for people striving to live together in harmony. And Sheshbesh will be in Midland on Thursday, January 16th, presenting a concert uh, at 7.30 p.m. in the Little Theater, uh, followed by a talkback about their mission to demonstrate that peace can uh, exist in the most unlikely of places. Um, so uh, if you want to get tickets to Sheshbesh, you can visit midlandcenter.org or you can call 989-631-8250. That's uh, that. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, let me try and read that again. 989-631-8250. And that's Sheshbesh. So, and that kind of that kind of leads into kind of what we've been talking about is you know Shesh Bash is this wonderful so first of all it's part of our Windows on the World series so it's oh. about um, making sure that uh, that we're bringing in music that is that people who live in this area don't get a chance to to hear very mm-hmm. often but also secondarily maybe not even secondary maybe primarily it's this you know to to bring in a group you know when all of us are not talking to each other, right? We're all so angry at each other and, and impeachment is, is always, we're hearing in the, in the news all day, every day, mm-hmm. to have a group of, uh, of, of musicians coming in from a part of the world that is even more divided, mm-hmm. even more violently divided than we are, and for them to be able to say to us, it is possible for oh, us yeah. to still be able to talk and for us to still be able to, to share mm-hmm. uh, something together. Um, do we have, do, do art centers have an organization or have an obligation to bring that type of programming to a community? I don't know that we have an obligation, but man, isn't it a bonus? I mean, we are, we are woefully undereducated about the world around us. Mm -hmm. We are, we are wildly ignorant of what goes on in the rest of the world. Um, and I think that anytime we have a chance to, witness or interact with um, artists from other parts of the world, it can only enrich and educate us. So I'll give you the answer of yes and no. Hmm. So do art centers in general have an obligation? No. I would say yes. In, in your You predicated that with you have a series on exposing our community to other parts of the world. Right, that was that was something that this art center decided to have as a focus. Once you made that decision and said, "Hey, you know, part of our programming is to broaden our our musical scope, if you will," then yes, you have an obligation, in my opinion, to go bring these other um, um, artists in to showcase. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's any inherent just because you're an art center, you have to go do mm-hmm. something that's not in line with what you're trying to achieve. Back and to the mission. It can be whatever it, need, whatever it wants to be, mm-hmm. yeah, ultimately. You know, you can have an art center that's, that's Michigan-centric. Mm-hmm. We want to display Michigan artists. We want to display Michigan music, Michigan what have you. And, right. and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Be clear about what you're doing so everyone knows, right? But if you're going to have yeah. a showcase of, of the world, fine. Yeah. Everyone knows you know, if for some reason... <laughs> and it better showcase the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so... And I'm just thinking that 40 years ago when I was here, or almost 50 now, uh, there wouldn't be that kind of program. I, I You know, that kind of a concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes me realize that your cultural antennae, you know, as an institution, maybe it's just antenna for an, an institution, uh, are out there. And you're responding you know, to the times. Mm-hmm. So I, yay. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> All right. So um, just to kind of start us off here on a, on another, on another tangent, oh. or not a tangent, but another, another new, I, new idea that we can explore it's here. A leap. I'm going to, I'm going to put a stake in the ground. I'm going to say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make a statement that uh, art centers belong to the community. They belong to everyone in the community. And that therefore actions, policies, or associations that are inclusive uh, or that are not inclusive um, are, are problematic mm. for an art center if, if the idea that is that an art center belongs to everybody. Thoughts on that? I think I'm going to be really simplistic and say, what community? <laughs> mm. 
I that's didn't... actually the question that my husband asked me today when we were really? talking about this. Yeah. It's like, well, define community. Yeah. Said, Why I mean... are you such a pain? <laughs> Why would you? Why do you have to be insightful? Why can't and... you just answer the? Yeah. Why do you have to be nuanced <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> so difficult? I think that to go back to um, the discussion of the mission, you know, it goes back to what what community do you actually serve? Because it might not be the entire community mm-hmm. of Midland mm-hmm. in this case. It might be a, a pocket of that community or a facet of that community or whatever. Um, and I think that it it requires the mission of the center to be very clear and the people who run the center to be constantly vigilant about staying aware of that community that they do serve and and staying open to new ways to make sure you're being inclusive of that community. And I mean I guess to me it's also there's the community there's the community that you're that you're serving and then there's the community that you think you're serving. Those two things don't necessarily not the line, up, the time, line yeah. up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the stake yeah. in the ground again, we're going with that. What was that? The stake? They That's, have an obligation. Uh, art centers belong to the community. Belong to the community. Belong to everyone in the community. And I think the root of that, and you guys touched on it, is the definition of community, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so my first thought process is community when when you when you read that is community in the geographic sense the surrounding areas around it okay if, if you take that as your first premise then i would disagree mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right i, I mm-hmm. would say it does not belong to the to the inhabitants of the geographic area right because at the end of the day and again the finance hat coming back on <laughs> here we got to pay the so bills sensible. you got to pay the bills right and so you have to meet the needs of the constituents that are paying the bills, as bad as that sounds from an artistic perspective, you got to keep the lights on still, right? Mm-hmm. And so unless you have the endowments that are going to keep you open regardless of who you take off, you have to be in line with the community of your donors, right? So the, the, the supporters who are paying the bills, coming to the exhibits and all of that other stuff, you have to be in line with them, not one for one with everybody because that won't happen, but there better be a pretty big overlap Majority. with that constituency because hmm. otherwise they're not paying your bills anymore, right? <laughs> and, and so that doesn't mean you can't – you have to have every program approved by them, mm-hmm. right? And that goes back to you use the word authentic, and I think that's a great – that's mm-hmm. a brilliant word to use there is as long as you know what that organization stands for as a donor, then as long as it stays – relatively within that parameter, I don't think your your objective changes as a don't, right? As somebody who supports the arts and, and others is that if I see them deviate and go and start supporting one thing that's not part of their DNA as we've talked about, I would stop donating to that organization. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had a program that I really disagreed with, that's not going to change my, pers- at least not for me, mm-hmm. change my support for that organization. Mm-hmm. And so... It goes back to the, the the original question: How do you want to define community? That's it. You know, it's interesting. Um, we were talking about you were kind of defining community and, and saying that really that, that an organization belongs to essentially the audience and the donors that are that are that are coming. But from my perspective, you know, sitting in a room with a group of programmers, um, are you know, we think of every you know we think holistically about the entire community mm-hmm. and we're constantly trying to engage as many different parts of that community as we possibly can you know so that because ideally and maybe it's a yeah maybe it's a platonic ideal right? it's out there out there somewhere that you know in in some universe we've managed <laughs> to be successful in engaging all all segments of the community mm-hmm. and i guess just because someone chooses not to engage or if we're not providing if we're not providing programming that is attractive to a particular segment of, of, of the community, does that mean that then that, that that segment of the community doesn't have ownership of the organization? I suppose that now that I, as I think about it, I'm like, that's probably true. They, they, they certainly don't feel that they have ownership of the organization. And so the really the burden is on on the arts organization to kind of 
let that community know and make that community understand that that they are welcome to take ownership of, of it. Well, oh, go ahead. Do you have an experience of that happening, that a certain facet of this community went, oh, no, 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 this isn't my place. I'm not home. I don't feel safe here. Have you ever had that? And then they pull out and then you go, mm, give us a chance. We're going to... Well, I think that um, Midland in general is um, is very wealthy, mm-hmm. is very highly educated, mm-hmm. uh, and is very white. And I think that the Center for the Arts tends to reflect um, mm-hmm. those like those features of the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, as as you know, on staff, have been talking a lot about how we can um, make sure that that folks who you know, folks who are in minorities within the community have a like the, that it's I think for for many many years our posture was well of course everyone is is welcome here you know but mm-hmm. and what we were doing is we were kind of saying well if if but if if nobody comes that's that's not our fault but I don't think that that's good enough right you know and I think that um and so now we're having a lot of discussions about how do we like it's the, the burden is on us to go out and to build relationships and to make sure that people um, and, and to ask them what if this is your art center, mm-hmm. what do you want it to be? Mm-hmm. Right. And because you have you have a voice. Right. If we want it. We want to give you a voice. You tell us what you want to see on our stages, because this is just this place is just as much yours mm-hmm. as it is mine. How do you do that? How do you make that connection to go? I mean, how do you who do you go to? Um uh, if I if I knew the elegant and simple answer to that question, <laughs> I think it's a. I mean, it's a decades long. I mean, it's it's a. Oh, it's the, and there is no answer. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's simply it's it's a it's a continual work of progress. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and ultimately, I'm ultimately I am such a terrible messenger for it, right? Because <laughs> you know, I, I, I sit in. What? <laughs> uh, well, I, I am because you know I, we talk about we talk about um, uh, you know how, how do we have uh, how do we have conversations about diversity when everyone who's in the room having the conversation is part of the majority yeah you know uh, sorry i uh, this is one for me like (laughs) i i understand that but i think in general we've screwed up the whole diversity question because when you talk about diversity you're talking about one element you're talking about the one you can see with your eyes, mm-hmm. right? We never talk about tall people versus short people. Okay. They've had very much different life experiences than um, black versus white or brown versus black or what have you. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different dynamics that go into diversity, right? Somebody who's tall has a different life experience than somebody who's short. Somebody who's overweight versus somebody who's skinny have all had different paths that add to their diversity. Okay. Simply the color of their skin is one element, but it's not, you know, if everybody around the table is white, doesn't mean you don't have diversity, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think we, in, in a broader sense, have pigeonholed it to be that discussion that diversity is seen through the eyes. And I think we miss the boat when we do that. I think it's also just That's cultural. I mean, it's also representing different cultural experiences, right? I mean, if, if everyone, if everyone, if everyone sitting at the table has had the same has had the same life story that, as as I have, mm-hmm. then my, then I'm I'm poorer for that. Right. right, but but when you talk about lack of diversity sitting around the table, I think it was the conversation you're having. Can you answer the life story of all those people that are sitting around the table, or can you just say they're all either the same gender or the same color? How, how are you basing your we don't have diversity at the table? Well, I, I suppose it's fair to say that that we're using we're using color as a proxy for life experience which is one dimension and it oh, yeah. is a dimension I mean, but it's, it's not the only dimension there are cultural there. there are cultural differences associated with you know um, either country of origin or sexual orientation i mean there's a they they definitely create a, a wide diversity of life experiences and i'm not disagreeing that those things don't create one but they're not the only things that create those things agreed yeah. but we we define that box with our eyes is what I'm, what I'm trying to get to mm-hmm. is, is that, um, you know, and you, you see it on different things where like, oh, they can't be very diverse because there are a bunch of white guys sitting around the table, right? I, I've heard that in, in different, you know, boardrooms or whatever they mm-hmm. talk about. You don't know any of the stories based on that comment of the people behind them. So exactly. how, how, just because they're old, white, and male 
doesn't mean it's lack of diversity, right? Because you can have men and women that all have had the same similar life experiences have less diverse group, if that makes sense, right? And so, and again, that's what I'm saying is that we used one variable and, and use that as our proxy for diversity. Well, I guess I, I would disagree that we use, that I would say that we use one variable. I mean, okay. I say that, you know, diversity and inclusion is, you know, we're, we're talking about all sorts of areas in terms of, you know, ableism. We're talking about ability. We're talking about age. We're talking about um, ethnic background. We're talking about sexual orientation and identity. We're, you know, there's, yeah, we are talking about height, you know, and, and in terms of making, you know, we're talking about, you know, um, gosh, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a very, there's so many different, mm -hmm. different experiences that we have to make sure that we're, um, that we're not creating unintentional barriers you know, because that's that's ultimately that's what it's about. Is that yeah. we don't we don't it, for the for for like like you know as a as a white man, I'm not aware of the barriers that are in place for others when I'm when, when I you know mm -hmm. when I'm going into an institution, right? As a as an abled person, mm -hmm. like right. So I um, so I, I'm in the I'm uh, I have a pretty significant hearing loss that happened within the last maybe five to ten years, and transitioning into a, a life as as a disabled person, and all of a sudden becoming much more aware. Mm -hmm of how little people who have perfect mm -hmm. hearing, you know, like how little they think about, Still, you know, yeah. things that we, we just take for granted all the time. And as, so then as a, a person who is either able-bodied or as a person mm -hmm. who is, you know, ha, you know, a part of whatever majority that might be, trying to make sure that I'm thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, what those barriers that I might not be aware of and trying to make myself aware mm -hmm. of them. And, you know. And, and to be fair, I, I'm not, pointing a finger at you as an individual. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that the general conversations that I've heard and, and been a part of, they, they rely on two dimensions. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess that, to me, frustrates me a little bit that it's yes. not wider, at least in the discussion. Right, right. And it's not pointing a finger at an individual, but even in your, your description that you, you said of yourself, you said white male. Mm -hmm. Not until you went to another two or three layers, say disability potentially with your, with your hearing, right? That is the... Go to discussion of everybody. I'm, you know, I'm not going to get ahead in the company because I'm a white male or white privilege. Or, you know, those are the two dimensions that we seem to focus on that may that to me amplifies that those two variables are going to make all the difference. But don't you think that those two variables have been the two mm -hmm. biggest variables for like the last like you know ever ever <laughs> for forever. I mean In hopefully we're getting to a point that perhaps perhaps it's 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 not that anymore but I think that to be aware of those structures well so if you ask me do I think that like for example in boardrooms and, and in business side that it's the old boys network and the, the male to female ratio is off no disagreements I, I'm not saying that there isn't discrimination or it's it's not out of whack I'm not arguing that at all but my hesitation there is we need to correct that, but doesn't mean we need to look at only that. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the focus is going. I think when, if you're going to have diversity and inclusion, open the door and make it broad for everything, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and maybe that's just a marketing question because the way people talk about it and maybe they are doing the right things. But mm -hmm. the presentation to somebody who's not in those meetings is very much, we screwed this up for 10 years or 110 years or 1,010 years. <laughs> Ever. Right? Okay, fair enough. Um, so we're going to correct this, and we're going to call it we're diverse once we correct this one thing. And I think that's the wrong perspective. Oh, absolutely. I, because it has to be an evolution. It's yeah. You don't do one thing to right. to wipe out all of this. Right. You, you have to progressively continue to make changes. And, and generally, in a in a place that is publicly supported, you have to do it over time because you can't, shift from first to fifth and have your audience come with you all the time. They're like, what, did, what does that happen? <laughs> right. Where are we? You, know, you have to, you know, and that's definitely, I think that's something that we talk about in, in programming that we're looking for material that allows our volunteers in particular, our community volunteers to um, engage in different ways. And we, are looking for and talking about material that offers opportunity to a wider variety of people, I think. 
I think. I mean, and Anurban, I think what for me, what you're talking about is how we've just used the word diversity, and that's shorthand. Oh, we all know what that means, and you're saying, oh, it's like baklava, you know, more and more layers, yes. and it's just so subtle, complex, and mysterious. Still, yeah, we're you know we're all brailing our way through this thing called life, and I, and I, I do think that it's also that we. Because something, because we're focusing on, because we focus on something, mm. it's easy to create the impression that we are then not focusing on on other things, mm. right? And and I, I and I agree with you that you know it's um, to me it actually kind of reminds me of um, you know the uh, uh, speaking of divisive subjects, it kind of it, it reminds me of the conversations around um, Black Lives Matters versus All Lives Matters, right? Mm-hmm. That. You're, to have someone say that Black Lives Matters is not saying that other lives don't. It just means that historically, Black Lives Matters, Black lives have not mattered mm-hmm. as much as other ones, mm-hmm. have, as much as white lives have mattered. You know, and so, you know, the idea is not to is not to dismiss other types of diversity and to not emphasize that. I think, but you know, in fact, in a in an ideal world, we should be, you know, you know, we we should be trying to. You know, it's it's really just about thinking about what the world is like for somebody else. Just it's, it's about being selfless, mm-hmm. right? But how do we how do I look at how you mm-hmm. how you experience mm-hmm. the, world, the world and how do I make the world easier for you mm-hmm. to navigate, not just how it's or best for me. me. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I think you know, as you as you guys were all talking, one of the things that struck me as, as I was thinking through this and processing was the fact that. Mm-hmm. So I think diversity gets hard for an organization versus an individual because of the reason. You almost have to prove it, right? So, you know, you talk about, uh, I'm a diverse board. Well, how do you prove that, right? Because I think as individuals, I'm most of us, many of us, are good people that, that we see through what we, I don't know how to properly phrase this here, but it's, the board looks at dimensions so they can measure it. And I keep saying board as an example here, but, you know, oh, we're diverse. We have three men and three women and two this race and two that race or whatever because they can measure that. They can prove that we're diverse. I don't really walk around my life and sit there. I got to prove X <laughs> and prove Y about me and myself. Well, isn't right? diversity – diversity is a, is a, is a, a, a metric, Right. I, I feel like the, what the far more valuable thing is the idea is is the posture, right? The idea of because in, inclusion is a is a behavior, mm-hmm. right? It's something that you do Active. on a daily basis, and and whether or not so you can be inclusive from this minute forward, right? You mm-hmm. make a decision to be inclusive, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're diverse, but that necess- but that means that you're moving in that direction, and that and so. I feel like inclusion that that inclusive posture is is really a kind of a much more key, you know, to to an organization's identity because it it actually if if we say we're an inclusive organization that guides our decision making, it guides our hiring practice, it guides our our programming decisions, and it's a path yeah. to greater diversity. It it's is action yeah. that can be taken. Diversity is a result it's of a, right. It's the destination, not the yeah. I, I agree. That question you asked, I don't know how many minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, should an arts organization be neutral? Can a neutral or arts organization be diverse? Can it be inclusive? And how do you know if it's neutral or not? I just, just in terms of th- this aspect of the conversation. And so is the that, answer no? I mean, is the answer that at some point? I mean, there's there are certain. I mean, I mean, are there certain moral and social justice? You know, uh, I mean, that ideas that that surround this idea of inclusion that that an arts organization in order for it to be inclusive just has to make it's a commitment that it has to make to its patrons and to itself and to its employees mm-hmm. just to be honest and to be able to to function as is what it's trying to be was that a question yeah i wasn't sure <laughs> <laughs> I think we've, we've managed, it took us a while, but I think we've managed to find the absolute core of, of kind of where we've been. <laughs> where we've been I, I, I would say indirectly, yes. And, and, and what I'm wrestling with, again, is the finance of it is if, <laughs> if you're not, if you're not inclusive, right, I'm going to guess you're going to shrink your base, right? If you're transparent and authentic mm-hmm. and say, you know what, I don't care about being diverse or inclus- inclusive, uh, my 
my core of who I want to go at, after or entertain or whatever you want to call that art um, is just this narrow swatch of people. I'll, I'll be honest, if they can support the cost of it, then yeah, you can do that, right? You can not be inclusive and you can thrive if if the people are there who want to support you, right? But I'm going to guess that the, the numbers aren't going to line up, if you will. And if you're not inclusive, mm -hmm. people are not going to support you. Because again, I go back to my statement that I think most people are good, right? In terms of not, yes. not purposely biased about things, not... Mm -hmm. racist, not any of those other things. I would say, in, in my opinion, if I play the numbers, I would say that they're not those things. Inclusion so is good business. It's good. It's good. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's good being a good human being. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think they, they translate mm -hmm. to each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think from the running the book side of it, you <laughs> want to do it because it's the right thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I love your passion. So, you know, I love your financial passion. <laughs> That's great. Hey, if you can prove it on a balance sheet, then wow. it's wow. Yeah, great. <laughs> Have you ever done anything? I mean, brought in somebody and you had just like this horrendous, not, I don't backlash, but just feedback with, that was not sweet. Well, okay. Um, so, yes. So, and uh, I have a very, so one very, very stark example. So, we had a, uh, we had a comedian in, oh. um, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and she asked uh, if she asked um, what was her name. Uh, I don't think I should probably share that. <laughs> uh, I don't remember it anyway. Uh, oh, but <laughs> she asked she asked if she could uh, do some political material, some political jokes, and uh, and our our staff said, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. You know, like for all of the reasons why we talked about at the beginning of the we episode, like you, know, you are <laughs> you are in the tiny little blue dot inside the giant, you know, red uh -huh. donut. Um, it's probably not a good idea. And uh, oh. and so she's like, okay, but she went out on stage and decided to go ahead and do it anyway. And so oh. she uh, asked all of the the Trump voters to raise their hands, and then proceeded to like kind of berate, like call them out individually, and. Uh, Oh. And just completely lost, completely lost the crowd. Oh, and sure. it's, you know, it got to a point where you know somebody in the audience just kind of yelled out like, "Where's the comedy?" Yeah, and you know, and yeah. So finally, she finally gave it up and went back to back to the things. But you know, um, we had you know we we had some you know I, I you know I uh, I oversee the comedy series and mm. I fielded a lot of of um, upset uh, folks, a lot patrons. of feedback you know from the from the wow. from the patrons for that. And it took me a few months to really be able to win back their trust because there really was a, a really a, a sense of violation yes. there that yeah. um, they were very angry with us. And so I, the, um, took me a while to kind of win back everybody and get, you know, our, our, the numbers for our comedy night dipped mm. after, after that month. So yeah, that absolutely happened. Have you, ever so, had, have you ever had the opposite where you were tentative about somebody and they came out and blew it away? It was just wonderful. Oh yeah. And you know, we've done, and we've done projects before like the, that have really resonated with folks. We did a, um, we did a new play, uh, that was based around um, the Christmas truce of 1914. Oh. And, uh, so we're doing a, a war play um, at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and but the response of the, the response that we got from the audience was far in excess of, of what we mm -hmm. anticipated. You know, we, we figured that it would be a you know, it's not kind of your typical. Mm -hmm. It's not your typical Christmas fair because it's not warm and fluffy, mm -hmm. but ultimately it very much had kind of the core of what, oh, yeah. you know, kind of what you want Christmas to be about. Mm. Just had a lot more dead bodies. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but you also have, I think you have a lot more leeway when you have a play, mm. meaning that, you know, somebody's like, you're telling a story and at the end of the day, I might not enjoy the story, but I'll give you a pass on telling the story. Mm. When you have a, an individual, whether it's poetry, comedian or whatever, you sit in the audience, you're like, I am being talked down to or I am being berated as based on one person's perspective, the yeah. person standing on stage, right? That's one, that's one of the great things about so, theater, right? Is that the, the, the ability to story like that, that storytelling aspect creates that buffer yeah. that allows all of us to be in that mm -hmm. shared space together in a different mm -hmm. way. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to being talked at or talked to or... And here's or, my opinion and you guys all sit there and listen to my opinion because my opinion is better than yours because I got the mic. Uh, <laughs> right? so, so I... The, the direction that this... The direction that this conversation took kind of into these <laughs> ideas... It's it just been fascinating. I mean, one of us... Uh, but talking about diversity and talking about inclusion and talking about um, like 
race and you know i think it is is really really great and it's really interesting because our the next episode of our of the of the podcast is actually going to be uh, around that uh, a very similar topic and in different ways it's actually going to be a lot more connected with uh with kind of the casting world and the kind of the, the shifts we're seeing in terms of representation um on the stage uh which so it's it's kind of great that we kind of landed on that topic because it ties in really well um with our our second artist spotlight uh so i want to kind of pop into that so um our second artist spotlight is uh, this wonderful show that's coming in uh, in February called The Broadway Princess Party. So when Broadway star Laura Osnes finished her run as Cinderella, she and her friends Susan Egan, uh, who was the original Belle in Beauty and the Beast, and Christy Altemeyer, who starred in the role of the title role of Anastasia for two years, got the idea to combine all of the great princess songs from the Broadway and Disney songbook to create an unforgettable night of music and fairy tales for the whole family. So the show, called The Broadway Princess Party, is coming to the center on Friday, February 7th, for one night only. Tickets start at $26 and can be purchased at midlandcenter.org or by calling 989-631-8250. I managed to get the phone number out much better this, this time. Very smooth that time. Yeah. that, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so that is uh, – that. we're going to wind this up. That is our show for this time. So I want to say Bravo. thank you Bravo. to, to Anurban and Rusty. Thank, uh, you. thank you both for joining us tonight. Wow. Um, wonderful contributions. It was a great conversation. I think we could probably stay here for another hour or two and yeah. keep um, talking about this. Um, as always, thank you to my friend who puts the art in partner, uh, Elaine Doherty. That's atrocious. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so we were planning on <laughs> releasing new episodes around once a month. So t- uh, keep an eye out for the second episode sometime in February when we will be putting today's conversation to the test by discussing race and gender in casting decisions inspired by, among other things, that faux controversy around the casting of a black actress as Ariel in Disney's live action Little Mermaid. So thank you all so much for listening to Full Circle. I am your host, Dexter Brigham, and we look forward to having you come around again. Full Circle is a production of Midland Center for the Arts. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. And be sure to rate and review us wherever you like to listen. You can find all of our episodes on our website at midlandcenter.org. And be sure to follow the Midland Center for the Arts Facebook page so you can be the first to know when we release new episodes. Join us next time on Full Circle for a conversation on inclusion, diversity, and equity within the arts and culture sector. We'll be talking with actor Derek Davis, who made history as the first African-American to play the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera on national tour. Thanks for listening. The worst. Come, Come around. around. You're the actual worst. Yes. Oh. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Come. Oh.